If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. Welcome to Considering Catholicism. I'm back once again with Corey Lakatos. Hello, again. And once again, Corey is going to need to carry me on this deal because I'm still... <laughs> fighting this this dry cough you, you sound like you're on the up and up not quite as bad as the other yeah days, but. but i feel exhausted it's like mm-hmm. it's it's this dry cough but it just feels like I'm tired. plus i'm taking a huge amount of cough medicine <laughs> so, <laughs> so hopefully no, this all makes yeah sense. <laughs> so what's in cough medicine anyway so uh, you don't want to know yeah i don't know so anyway we've been in recent episodes talking about these speed bumps on the road to rome mm-hmm. and i, I want to bring up another one that I think comes up more often than it used to in the last five or 10 years. And even in the last one or two years, it's sort of accelerating as an issue. And let me put it this way. I have heard people describe it as this. I'm attracted to Catholicism. Mm. I love the doctrines and the history and the beauty of the Catholic church and all that and i love the teachings of the catechism of the catholic church as i you know study them and understand them and i'm ready to belong to that church but i'm becoming increasingly concerned that the catechism for many catholics many priests many bishops and those in higher authority is a document it's it's like doctrines that are on the books mm-hmm. but increasingly are less operational on the ground right so it's like you catholics have all this great theology on paper but in practice you've got progressive liberal whatever you want to call them mm-hmm. believers catholics priests bishops cardinals and there's increasing concern about some of the things that Pope Francis has said in the last couple of years. It wouldn't be honest if I didn't acknowledge that that's in the media. And it seems like for some people, there's two Catholic churches, mm-hmm. the church of the catechism and the history and the cathedrals and all the things that we talk about. And then the sort of progressive liberal church in practice. Sure, sure. And I think there are some people who are on the edge of it and 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 particularly some protestants who are coming out of protestant denominations that have been racked by all of these controversies over Mm -hmm. progressive liberal theology and they've seen their denominations split and split and split again yeah and then they think well i'm going to find refuge in catholicism because it's the one sure rock the sure foundation that will never you know and and there are some of them who are saying oh my gosh, I don't want to board the Titanic because right, it looks right. like in some ways the Catholic Church is going the way of the Anglicans and the Presbyterians and the Methodists and so forth on certain issues and it's just going to become another liberal progressive church. Mm-hmm. Okay? So we've titled this episode, Is the Catholic Church Still Catholic? Yeah. 
right? Or, or will it be a generation from now? Or will yeah. it be? Or if when someone who says, if I join it, what am I joining exactly? Mm-hmm. Am I joining the, the church of the catechism and the history and the Orthodox great historical Catholic church? Or am I joining something that is veering leftward into progressivism and moral relativism and, you know, blah, blah, blah. yeah, yeah. So I'm going to stop talking and mute my microphone here and cough while you <laughs> pick it up from there and kind of make explore that question a little bit. Okay. Yeah. I, I think it is a question that a lot of people are thinking about as, as you say, it's not something that you can just easily avoid. And I think we'll we'll talk a lot about bringing some perspective to that question as we did with the with the other three roadblocks or speed bumps that we've talked about. But before we do that, I do want to acknowledge just that th- there's the theoretical portion of this and then there's the experiential portion of this just like you were talking about with the catechism that there's the catechism on paper and then there's the catechism whether it's being lived out operationally and and we can get to to that maybe maybe at the end because people are going to hopefully find some some solace and some perspective in what we say about this but then they're they're still going to have to go down to their local parish and decide what they're going to do about it and and deal with the the reality on the ground so i just want to acknowledge that up front maybe the best way to begin with this is to bring both historical perspective and contemporary perspective to it so we can start with the historical cuz that makes sense it's chronologically prior. And and that is thinking about all the other crises and doctrinal controversies that the church has been through in 20 centuries. When they're in the rearview mirror, <clears throat> oh no, now I'm coughing. When they're in the rearview mirror, as far back as some of them are, they don't seem as serious, but in their day, they were every bit as serious or, or more dire than what we're going through now. And there's a list, the length of your arm that we could go down. And one of the early big ones was the Aryan controversy. There's, I don't know that we have good statistics, but there's the the famous line of that the, the world woke, woke up and groaned because it had become Aryan, that you had mostly Aryan bishops and St. Athanasius in, in Egypt and a few others were, were holding the line against this heresy. Oh no, we're both going down. And yet the church came out of that. It preserved authentic doctrine about Christ and Arianism ultimately. Oh, it, yeah. it, it took like a hundred years. Yeah, it, it, well, it, wasn't, it wasn't quick. Yeah. It wasn't like a one-time thing. It, mm-hmm. it took a, a hundred or more years of councils and arguments and, and, and real tussle inside the church to sort that out. You want to just like in 30 seconds or less explain what, the Arian heresy was and when it happened? Yeah. So this is a Christological heresy. So it has to do with what the nature of Jesus Christ is. And and so the, the Orthodox perennial teaching of the Catholic church is that Christ is both true God and true man. Uh, he's not created. As we say in the creed, he's consubstantial with the father, um, God from God, light from light, all of that. The Arian misinterprets passages from scripture and believes that Christ is not God. He may be the highest of all created beings, a really important thing, but not eternal God. And so it's not God dying on the cross for us and rising and saving us. And that changes everything about Christianity. That's a, that's a fundamental change in doctrine. And so you had a, a large number of bishops and, and Christians in the early centuries going this way. But this this hits its peak in the big controversy in the 300s, right, right. essentially. 
and and so as you alluded to that there were several councils the the early church councils were about the the doctrines of of Christ and of the trinity and so the church defined very clearly what its dogma was on this, but that didn't stop people from everyone was like, Oh, the church has defined it. Well, I guess we'll just stop being Arians now. It took ages. And of course, that's the kind of thing that can crop up at any time there. Islam is essentially Arian and it's in its view of, of Christ. Yeah. And to your point, a few hundred years later, uh, the church faced the Pelagian crisis, mm-hmm. which was all about free will. How much do we have free will versus, you know, uh, is salvation by grace or how much free will we have in that? And that was a very complicated right, uh, right. thing that, that Augustine and others and a lot of bishops fought through for another hundred years. Mm-hmm. And then you would fast forward a time for a few hundred years later and you had controversies between the Catholic church in the West and the Eastern Orthodox churches, which erupted in 1052 in the great schism between the East and the West, right? Exactly. And there were various issues, which I don't want to delve into, but there were theological conflicts over that, right? And then we can skip forward to some of the conflicts that took place in the high middle ages Mm -hmm. and were hashed out in various councils and whatnot. And then we had the conflict of the reformation, right? right? And, And the Catholic church had to redefine what it believes and, you want to, and then what, like Jansenism? Yeah, yeah, and that that's one that arose in the centuries following the Reformation, and, and again took centuries to work out. That was a, a Catholic heterodox position, so not not orthodox, not according to the true teachings of the Church, which in in many ways kind of mimicked Calvinism, and and so it had a a low view of human nature and of free will and those kinds of things that that didn't match what what Catholicism has taught about how grace operates and how we are saved. And so we don't have to get into the nitty gritty yeah. of that. But And along the way, uh, the various Gnostic heresies kind mm-hmm. of rear their heads every few centuries in different forms. So, I mean, this is getting into like a whole history, church history mm-hmm. thing, but the point you, the point I think we want to make, right, is that controversy and doctrinal controversies are nothing new to the church. Mm-hmm. The church is, in some sense, like an organism, mm-hmm. body. Think, oh yeah, 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 body, the body of Christ, and the, yeah, like like your human body, and it's going to have infections and viruses that get into the human body, and, and some the, of them are going to be worse than others. Some are going to be worse than others, and the some of them are going to have bigger or badder symptoms. Mm-hmm. And the body has to fight them off with its antibodies and its right immune system. And the body does better or worse at that at different times. I mean, the church is both a human and a divine institution. And so we, we believe that the church will prevail because it is, you know, the body of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that the human beings who are in charge and or not in charge, just sitting in the pews, aren't going to muck it up a lot of yeah. the times. And the body is from time to time, you're going to be fighting an infection mm-hmm. and the body is going to be, you know, weakened and in a weakened state. And the body's going to have to work through all the things that it works through fighting off an infection or a virus mm-hmm. or whatever. So this is nothing new because the church lives in the same world. It swims, if you would, in the same pond or swamp of the world mm-hmm. with all other churches and religions and denominations. And I think this is a point that I want to make, especially to our Protestant listeners that are considering Catholicism because some of them are like, man, I, I I don't know if I want to join the Catholic church because man, I just read sometimes on social media that Pope Francis is a 
liberal or that bishop so-and-so or the Catholic Church is going to start doing gay marriage or wh- whatever, right? I mean, mm-hmm. all these things are out there and it's going to change all of its doctrines. And, and there are people in the church, priests and bishops and theologians who are advocating for the church yeah. to change its doctrines. And one of the things I'd say is, well, of course the church is afflicted with this stuff because it, it lives and swims in the same sea that everything else does. So all of the things that are in our contemporary culture civilization, mm-hmm. arguments over sexual morality, arguments over this, over that, the Catholic church is going to be in, uh, afflicted with those. Just like if we all go jump in um, the pond we're all going to be subject to the, whatever, the little bacteria that Mm -hmm. are in the pond and they're going to affect us in different ways. But you and I were talking yesterday, there's something fundamentally different about how the Catholic church deals with this than the Protestant churches. You want to talk about that? Yeah. And and that's the fact that when Protestant churches have dealt with this historically, and I mean, check the news. Well, nobody reads newspapers anymore, I guess, but check the news website of your preference. On on any given day, we have many Protestant denominations that are splintering left, right, and center over these issues. The most pressing one to a lot of them right now is is the issue of, of sex and gender, but it's been other things historically and it'll be other other things in the future. And and so you just have this this endless series of splits. And it's not to argue that the Catholic Church is immune from schism, because obviously history would, would show that that's not the case. But the Catholic Church itself, the core of it, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church of Jesus Christ— is is one. You do have splinter groups breaking off of it. You have the schism with the East and that kind of thing. But the Catholic Church doesn't operate in the way that your usual Protestant communion would. We have a lot of people in the Catholic Church who are, you could say, like functionally in schism with the church or, or in terms of their ideology in schism with the church, but are not in formal schism with the church. You could compare it to sort of like a, a double agent. I'm not impugning their motives or anything, but they're, they're inside in a, in a sense working for the, the change or the downfall of the thing. And it's not to say that you can never have that in a Protestant communion, but we have it in a much larger scale in the Catholic church. Look, if I had some critters out at my farm, some little woodland critters, and mm-hmm. I, they were fighting, I could divide them up into like let them divide them up in different cages or corrals or whatever, mm-hmm. or I can keep in the same one so they bite and fight and scrap each other. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about the Catholic Church is that because it's Catholic, its first reaction, even its second or third or tenth or hundredth reaction, is not to schism and divide like the Protestants. Its reaction is to stay together and fight. And this is what you get like a family where you go, yeah, the first time mom and dad go, hey, we just, we aren't on the same wavelength anymore and we believe different things and we want different things. And so we're just getting a divorce and the kids will go wherever they go versus this marriage that you go, everybody's going to stay here and argue. And and in a sense, it almost looks miserable because everybody's screaming and fighting and saying sometimes ugly things about each other. But the Catholic church is committed to, to keep that fight internal versus splitting off. I have all these friends from my Protestant days that mm-hmm. belong to all these different denominations that have split once, twice, three, four, or five times. I remember when I was in seminary, our denomination was going through this huge fight at that time over ordaining women, ministers. 
he called it women in office. So it was like, well, I'm not against women in my office. I'm just against them that being <laughs> like, but the thing is, is that it got like really, really uh, contentious. Mm-hmm. And in my graduating class, it was the first time they were going to graduate um, a female graduate and put her up for ordination. And so like at our graduation ceremony, there were like protesters and all this kind of thing. It was a big hullabaloo. And so it wasn't long after that, that a bunch of churches split off. Mm-hmm. So you had the ones who said, well, whoever won, now we're going to have women ministers. So a bunch of churches in the denomination said, well, we aren't going to go with that. We're going to split off and form a new denomination that the orthodox version mm-hmm. of our denomination and then that went along for a few years until other things ro- rose up and now some of those things are gender and whatever and so even in the split of the split of the split now you've got these kinds of gender sexuality remarriage issues which are the great issues of our day we'll get to that in a minute but so there's another split happening and a friend of mine is a part of some splinters group of a splinter group of a splinter group that is like 16 churches, like 16 mm-hmm. pastors are going to spot and form like this alliance of true churches. And they're going to have, you know, annual meetings and a holiday in in Sioux Falls, South Dakota or whatever. And there's a sort of a, and they, they say to me, Oh, how can you stay in the Catholic church with all these liberals and blah, blah, blah. And I go, how can you be in a holiday in with 16 mm-hmm. other churches? The only reason you don't have the liberals is because either they left or you left. Right. You're, so what you're trying to tell me is that the, the one true church, the church of the ages has been reduced to 16 guys in the banquet room at a holiday in in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. That seems absurd to me on face value. So part of the problem is that Catholic conflicts over the last 20 centuries always look worse because they are battles royale, right? (laughs) They're cage, they're literally like cage matches where you're locked in. Theological cage matches. Theological cage matches where you're locked in the cage and it's like one side is going to win and the other side is going to lose for the future of the church. And the church has gone through these things for 20 centuries and always the Catholic church has emerged still Catholic mm-hmm. and still, as we say on this podcast all the time, still with, with one faith and one doctrine and the Orthodox historical Catholic faith. And that's only because of the protection of the Holy Spirit that, right. that Christ gave to the church. If it was just due to our own human power to keep things together, it'd be just like any other church. Right. So all that to say, if you're considering coming to the Catholic church or you're looking in on social media and headlines or whatever on, on the internet, what, and different podcasters and whatnot, they're just constantly talking about these conflicts that are taking place. Mm -hmm. Let me just take a little sidebar on that about why we never talk about that stuff here. Mm -hmm. When I felt called to start this podcast, the purpose was to share the historic Catholic faith. And I think that anybody who listens to this podcast, anybody who listens to the intro to this podcast can figure out where I'm coming from. I stand with the historic Catholic faith of the ages, right? And historic orthodoxy, as it's called, right? The, the faith once and for all delivered to the saints that has been preserved for 2000 years. And we can talk in some other time how doctrine develops and this and that, but there's a continuity of doctrine, of faith, of practice, Mm -hmm. And that's where I come from, but I did not feel like the vocation that I had or the purpose of this podcast was to be another podcaster or social media influencer or YouTuber going on and on and on and on about 
what Pope Francis said yesterday in an airplane interview. Mm-hmm. Okay. There are hundreds of people online doing that, literally. And some of them are really, really, I mean, they could squash me like a bug. Like I'm, I'm not even, they don't even know who I am. There's, they have such huge audiences. Mm-hmm. And for some of them, maybe that is their calling. That is what their podcast or their YouTube channel or whatever is supposed to be about. Some of them are driven by maybe the clicks because clicks equal money. Yep. And I don't have, you know, a 10th or a hundredth of some of the traffic that those guys get by every day going, and here's the latest outrageous thing in the news, Catholic news today. That's never been the purpose of this podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to share that faith once and for all delivered to the saints and to share historic Catholic Christianity. In fact, the mission of this ministry is to educate and excite people about historic Catholic Christianity and to equip them with the tools to live, share, and defend it in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. So spending a lot of time saying, did you read what happened yesterday in the Vatican or whatever, it's not helpful to the purpose of this. And I don't think when I read the emails that I get from listeners, which I love, by the way, I got some great ones last night. Thank you very much for your feedback. I don't think that's why they're here. Well, yeah. And, and I think it is good and important to be, you know, well-informed on what's going on in the church, whether you are already a Catholic or whether you're considering Catholicism, but there's also a, a limit to the helpfulness of that too. You you can be too focused on it, on the contemporary church politics and Pope this, Bishop that, Father this, to the detriment of being engaged with, as you say, historical orthodoxy, the, the perennial tradition and teaching of the church. That's primary. Of course, the Pope, Bishop, Father has an important and legitimate role in the transmission of that tradition, but they themselves don't embody that tradition. And so you have to be careful not to go too far off the deep end with that stuff as important as it can be. I think it would be ridiculous for me to deny that I have opinions oh, sure. about all these issues and that you you and I talk about them I all, have opinions. The, all the yeah. time offline. I'm just not going to talk <laughs> to them with the microphone running mm-hmm. because the other thing too is you and I are both loyal sons of the church. Mm-hmm. And even though I have personal and private opinions, you and I both are partly employed by our church in our diocese yes. and I do teaching and writing and you do as well. And, and I have the supporters of this podcast and I don't feel that either it serves the mission or I don't want to embarrass my pastor, my, my priest or my bishop mm-hmm. by being that guy on the air. That's just, that's not, I think now if, if you come out to the secret compound <laughs> and sit by the fire pit with me and enjoy it, uh, an adult beverage. Well, in vino veritas, I may I may share my thoughts, but that's not the purpose of this podcast. Mm-hmm. However, I think there's there's two things we have to avoid. One is being alarmist about this stuff, like mm-hmm. Chicken Little, the sky is falling. Chicken Little, the sky is falling. Oh my gosh! Did you see what the Pope did yesterday? Or did you see what Bishop so and so did? Or did you right. see what the the, Vac- the Vatican Doctrine Office issued yesterday? Or did yeah. you hear what you know some bishop in wherever said? And to constantly be in that sky is falling songs because, as you said, historic. The Catholic Church right now is fighting off, the body of the church is fighting off an infection. And it may take 10 years to fight it off. It may take 100 years. It's been fighting it off for 
I think it, the current infection is a hundred years or more in development and yeah. probably a hundred years or more in cure. And, and the church moves in cycles of centuries, not cycles mm-hmm. of years or decades. And so there's going to be, just as you would go through a week of a really bad flu or whatever, the church is going to go through a century or more of, a, of fighting a bad <laughs> flu. Right. And I have every faith and belief that the Holy Spirit will bring us through this and Christ, the church Christ will emer- emerge healthy. Yeah. That being said, I think there's an opposite thing, which is I don't want to be chicken little. Is that chicken little? Pollyanna-ish yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to be chicken little. The sky is falling, but I don't want to be Pollyannish either. I mean, I think we're using really like obscure references for younger people. <laughs> Sorry. But I don't want to be like, hey, everything's cool. Everything's great. Nothing's going wrong. Nothing, nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Because- when you say the church is going to come through something over a hundred years and you look back at history, a lot of times those fights were really difficult times to live through. There's a lot of collateral damage. There's a yeah. lot of collateral damage. Think about those controversies like the the, the Great Western Schism where mm-hmm. for a number of years there were, there were three popes. You didn't know who the Pope was. Mm-hmm. Think about the Avignon Papacy where for 70 something years the Pope the church was in free fall. Think about some of the crazy things that were occurring during the Renaissance popes and the mm-hmm. debauchery and think about, so those things, you came out of them a lot of times with, with severe conflict, mm-hmm. right? It was Con- Consequences for the church as a body and consequences for individual souls. And while Christ promises that his church will be victorious, he never promised that your parish Mm-hmm. or your diocese wouldn't go bankrupt or that we wouldn't have a schism with some dioceses or that people wouldn't lose the faith or that people wouldn't lose yeah. the faith and only to see it rebuilt, you know, mm-hmm. decades from now. So, or that your kids won't walk away from the church, even though you raised a minute because they're disgusted with this or whatever. We, we probably are in for Decades and decades, maybe the 21st century is going to be a very tumultuous uh, ride. Well, I think part of it, part of why it feels so bad right now is just the way we're conditioned to right in, in this contemporary moment to approach the news. Everything is the end of the world. Everything is the sky is falling. It's outrage cells and catastrophe crisis cells. So that's part of it. But I think another part of it is that for about 1500 years, most of these controversies in the church have been intra-Christian. It's generally been one branch of the church has been fighting with another branch of the church about something that only Christians would care about or know about. Before that, in the the, the heyday or the the twilight, I should say, of the Roman Empire, and now in, in the age that we've been moving into for a century or two, it's a lot more of the church fighting off outward attack. It's things coming from a non-Christian context, or in many cases, an anti-Christian context, coming into the church and being fought about. And that feels different. It's still historically relatively new to us. And, and it can feel sometimes like, well, this is, this is when the, the bark of Peter finally gets the hole that can't be, that can't be fixed and, and is going to sink. I, I think it has to do with the change in historical epoch that we're going through. I agree with a qualification. Sure. And the qualification would be, I mean, I've been saying since I was in seminary that when I, I was in a, this reformational seminary, seminary mm-hmm. I was in this reformational seminary, not cemetery, <laughs> where they, everything was about the glories of the reformation and the con- conflicts mm-hmm. of the reformation and the arguments of the reformation. Right, right. right? 
It's one of the reasons I probably leaned to being able to talk about those things because that was what our baseline was. Right. But I remember back then even saying to friends and professors, that's not what the next 50 years is going to be about because in the Reformation, in the 16th and 17th centuries or whatever, all of Europe was Christian. Mm -hmm. And the issue was what flavor in a sense, of Christianity would it be? Would it be Catholic Christianity or some variation of Protestantism? Right, right. What I used to say is that we're heading back to what the church was like in its first two or 300 years, where its conflict was with the Greco-Roman world. And that was full of all these other religions and Mm -hmm. challenges. And a lot of the heresies that came in and conflicts had to do, I mean, it was facing the Roman empire, it was facing other kinds of empires. It was facing the barbarian hordes. It was facing, uh, you know, religions of the Mediterranean, religions of the ancient Near East, religions of the Northern Celtic countries and Germanic countries. Mm-hmm. And it was fighting off all of this kind of stuff. So it was sort of a different set of infections the right, body right. had to fight off. And that was one of the things that drove me to Catholicism was I said, look, I don't want to keep cycling around John Calvin, Martin Luther stuff. I want to go back and find what the early church fathers did to build the church up, because that's what we're facing now. We live in a post, at best, a post-Christian world, Mm -hmm. maybe a post-religious world. And in that, we can't just keep going back and cycling over the same things that we've been talking about for the last three, 400 years between us and the, and the Calvinists or us, us and the Lutherans. We have to start talking about us versus the larger secular and neo-pagan world that's out there. Yeah. yeah. Right? No, I, I definitely agree with that. So that's one thing. And the other thing I would say is that it feels different now because we simply have modern communications. Yes, so that's a big part of it. During the Great Schism in Middle Ages, there may have been three popes, but the average person didn't know who the pope was anyway. They didn't have newspapers and they certainly didn't have social media and they certainly weren't listening to podcasts or YouTubes or the Pope's Twitter feed to see what he said today. Right. No one was reporting on that. Most people didn't know who the Pope was. They knew there was a Pope and they prayed for him and that was about it. Right. But we live in this media civilization that accelerates all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So things that may have been the kinds of, we've been using the analogy of fighting off the infection, things that may have been the normal symptoms of fighting off an infection in previous eras. As we go through those, it's being magnified. Like the guy who sits around and go, oh man, I really feel really sick with this flu. And I think I got my, 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 I feel like I have a temperature and I've got sniffles and I've got this and every, it's just exaggerating all this. Mm-hmm. If we'd kind of, kind of step back a little bit maybe and see it in the larger perspective. Here's the other thing that I think we have to acknowledge we talk about the cold war. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for what was it from the end of world the 40s, war to the forties to the nineties. Yeah. So for 45, 50 years, mm-hmm. there was this cold war between the Soviet union, China, communist Marxist East versus the democratic West led by the United States and NATO. Right. Yep. It wasn't a hot war. They weren't actually firing missiles at each other. It was a low grade conflict. In some sense, and in some ways, for the last, at least the last 60 years, the Catholic Church has been going through a sort of a cold schism. Mm-hmm. There are absolutely individuals, ordinary Catholics, priests, professors, bishops, cardinals, Catholic 
colleges and seminaries, whatever, writers that are not orthodox and don't stand for historic orthodoxy. In fact, they're heterodox on key issues and they, I think, are actively and have been actively for 60 years trying to undermine a lot of the key elements of the Catholic Church, either yeah. her faith or practice. But it's stayed below the level of being a, a hot conflict where we go, hey, now the German bishops or the Belgian bishops are going to vote to secede from the Catholic Church or get kicked out of the Catholic Church. Like, we're back to Martin Luther and, right, right. right? So we've been living through sort of a cold schism for 60 years. And, and again, we can say, well, that's kind of like the body fighting off the infection. At some point, I don't know whether the cold schism becomes hot. Mm. I hope not. It's possible. But I, it's possible that in the foreseeable future, or at least within our lifetime, we're going to see some fracturing off of some dot bishops or dioceses or whatnot. And I think that's a terrible thing for the faithful. Oh, yeah. But you look at the pressures of the modern secular world around us. So I was telling my wife last night, because we were sitting there, watching tv and i was flipping through my ipad looking at news stories and there was this story a survey in the netherlands 80 mm-hmm. percent of dutch people now believe that the state should euthanize an elderly person when their life has quote run its course unquote so basically you've had a good life you're kind of not doing anything anymore you're not active anymore you kind of a drain on society and resources it's time mm-hmm. to just put you down like a dog. That's 80% of, of people in the Netherlands today. Yeah. Now, when you look at the Catholic church in the Netherlands, you go there and there's nobody in the Catholic churches. The, the churches are empty during the masses. The bishops in the Netherlands are, in many cases, part of this rebellious heterodox group. And part of that is that they live in this environment like with the infection swimming in the dirty pond Mm -hmm. that has infected the church in that area. And in some cases they're succumbing to that infection and it has to be fought off. I hope they can fight it off in their particular church and their particular community, but we have to fight it off in the global church and we have to fight it off in our community and in our culture. We cannot allow these kinds of infections, whether that's issues of life, euthanasia, abortion, sexuality, gender, whatever. Those are the hot button issues today, but we cannot allow those kinds of infections, bacteria, sort of cultural bacteria to get Mm -hmm. into the body of the church, or it's going to be, the church is going to get sick. And I guess what I would say is, do I think that the Catholic church is still Catholic? Yes. But I think it's fighting off. It's like, it's kind of feels like I do today, right? Like I've <laughs> right, got this yeah. dry cough and it doesn't sleep well at night and it feels kind of tired and achy because I'm fighting off some kind of a something or other. And the Catholic church is fighting off uh, a sickness and disease that has crept in from mm-hmm. the, the dirty pond of the secular world in which it swims. Yeah, to maybe push that analogy too far, we'll, we'll see, is that when, when a body is sick and is fighting off an infection, it's all the more important. Every healthy organ, every or- healthy cell is all the more important for holding the line against that infection and keeping the essential functions of the body going and keeping the body alive. And so I think every Catholic who's faithful to the teachings of the church and every convert who's coming in who, who wants to be faithful to the teachings of the church is all the more 
critical right now. It's it's the old thing about don't be a part of the problem, be a part of the solution. If you if you're coming into the Catholic Church and you're going to be serious and committed when they ask you when when you're received, do you, do you believe and will you profess all of the things that the church teaches to be divinely revealed, then you're going to be part of the solution. And if you don't do that, if you're convinced of all those things, but you hold off because of the mess and the problem and the conflict in the church, then you you can't possibly be part of that solution. Well, absolutely. And I think that's where what we want to say to the listeners is if you are a Catholic and you're dismayed by the sickness that the Catholic church is fighting off in some parts of his body, then sitting on the sidelines and doing nothing you can't change what people in the Netherlands do or what some priest or bishop in the Netherlands does, but you can be active in the people in your life, in your parish, in your diocese, and with various organizations, whether it's pro-life organizations or whatever, where you make sure that, as you say, the part of the body that you do live in stays healthy. Mm-hmm. And I would say if you're hanging out as an Anglican or a Presbyterian or a Methodist or whatever and going, oh my gosh, I love the catechism of the Catholic church, but but I'm concerned that not 100% of the priests and bishops, you know, believe every part of the catechism of the Catholic church. Well, well, what are you going to do? Hang out with Methodists who don't believe any of it? Right. Right. So, I mean, at least come where it is, where we least have this mm-hmm. as on paper. And I would say that still the majority, the vast majority of, of our, our priests and bishops and everything else affirm the teachings of the Catholic church and the historic teaching of the Catholic church. So at least come to where it is. And it may be, it may be the task of our generation or our century to live through this bout of sickness. Yeah. And, and it isn't easy. I want to recognize that because I think a lot of Protestants, either the community they're in or other communities around them they could look at, they they look like and may genuinely be vibrant Christian communities with with people who believe and are practicing their faith. And then maybe their local parish doesn't their local Catholic parish doesn't look like that particularly. And so that's that's difficult. It's it's difficult to follow one's conscience into the Catholic Church if your local situation is not Great. I'm glad you brought that up because I think the default choice in Catholicism should be to attend your geographic parish. Yeah. Right. I I should go to church with my neighbors. Right. Mm -hmm. Even if I don't like my neighbors, right. (laughs) As GK Chesterton said, God says to love your neighbors and your enemies because Mm -hmm. often they're the same Same people. people. But right. So you, you love your neighbors and you go to church with them. That ought to be our default. But if you are in a situation where you're in a, parish that is not a healthy parish in as much as you have perhaps a pastor that's not teaching faithfully the Catholic faith or catechists or staff that are undermining it or a liturgy that's not faithful. I mean, right. If these Mm -hmm. things are going in place, you may need to consider going to a a nearby parish that is faithful. Yeah. And that's a prudential judgment to make with good advice. We certainly can't tell any particular person what they should or shouldn't do. And so, yeah, I I think it's important to to say that and to recognize that because that's going to be part of a lot of people's personal experience. You can, you can talk at the global level or the historical level and, and that can all be true and helpful without it touching the the level of, of the street. But I think another part of that is that the Protestant community you're personally a part of may be very healthy, but comparing that, the the best that you can find there with 
the totality of the Catholic church and maybe even the worst things from the Catholic church that you can pull out is not the, the correct or the fair or the, the truthful comparison. Really the comparison would be to, to the, the true and, and helpful comparison would be to compare the whole body. So Protestantism in aggregate and then the Catholic church. And, and then that kind of takes off some of the blinders I think that we have to our own local circumstances, either, either good or bad, because if you're attracted to the Catholic church and to what the catechism says, and you look at the Catholic church and see issues, then look at the Protestant church writ large. You're not going to see anything better. No, I mean, every, I, I, that'd be another episode, but I could, I can give countless examples of doctrinal abuses that are taking place in today's Protestant or evangelical circles. I mean, this is, we're getting far afield late in the episode, but this is one of my problems with Protestantism in general and evangelicalism in particular. And that is that they, they try to keep the church pure by shrinking its scope. Mm. So if you define the church as a loose affiliation of like-minded people who follow pastor Dave Mm -hmm. and like his teaching and show up to Bible study and like this music, well, then you have great unanimity, Mm -hmm. but you've shrunk the, the definition of the church to a very small thing, which is my personal relationship with Jesus my affiliation with my friends and like-minded people and my participation in this local church under pastor so-and-so. Right, right. That's not a Catholic vision of the church, being Catholic, being universal. It's not, it's, it's a very small vision of the church. It's a very small vision of what the church is for and what it does. Mm-hmm. And as you enlarge the scope, as you zoom out and say, all the things that the church must be, can be, is you know, should be whatever, then you're going to start getting into areas where there's going to be disagreement and -hmm. conflict, and it's going to be subject to those infections of the body. I just want to say one last thing about the infections of the body. Yeah. Uh, You and I met through the student ministry that my wife and I led Mm -hmm. many years ago, and you and your fiance now your wife, you came in through that. And then uh, when you graduated, you became a leader of it. Yes. But uh, you know that we, I've been talking about this for 20 years mm-hmm. and cause you were there and then you were talking about it when you were one of the leaders. And that is, is that when we look back at those historical conflicts, they were about different kinds of doctrinal issues. Mm-hmm. Like, so there were arguments about substance and Greek philosophy or in the Reformation about this or there. Those are not the issues, the doctrinal issues. No one's going to argue about Arianism in essence, at least explicitly today. Those aren't the important controversies. Of today. No, the yeah. controversies of the 21st century around w- the human person, about humanity. What is a human being? Mm-hmm. What are the dignities of a human being? To what, what are, end is he? To what end yeah. is a human being? What is the human being's relationship with God? What are the moral responsibilities of a human being? What are the rights and responsibilities of human life, right? And that's going to come up not only with things like beginning of life, end of life, weird medical ethics are only going to get weirder, artificial intelligence, 10,000 things that are going to challenge our definition of what a human being is. 
And in 20 centuries, the church hasn't faced some of these questions Mm -hmm. because we didn't have the technology to manipulate the human genome. We didn't have the technology to create human machines, cyborgs with AI chips in their brains. We didn't have the ways to, to all the different challenges that we face today and the secular world that, that promotes them. This is new territory for the church. And that's why all of these infections are creeping into it mm-hmm. because the church is, is now moving into territory where it's facing things. But just like if you got, like when you were a kid, you would, your mom would get you together with other kids to get the chicken pox. Sure. Cause once you had the you're chicken, build immunity to yeah, it. And now you're never going to get the chicken pox again. Right. You'd build immunity. And so the thing is, is that on some of those issues, the Catholic church has built immunity. I'm looking at the copy of the catechism on the table between us. And there's big sections of the catechism that no one's going to argue about. Which, which isn't to say that people don't disbelieve or deny those things. It's no. just that it's, it's settled in the Catholic church. We That's can't, settled right, doctrine we, we and no one's- We're not going to rehash re- that debate. Re- right. Yeah. Where the, the conflicts are, as we're encountering, in a sense, new viruses, new bacteria, just like- a new viral outbreak is going to like nobody has antibodies for this. Mm -hmm. And so it's tearing up the Protestant world. It's tearing up the evangelical world. And those infections are, are afflicting the Catholic church and the Catholic church is fighting off those, those infections and those, those diseases of modernity or of the 21st century postmodernity. So about those issues. And so we're in for, a wild ride, a Mr. Toad's wild ride, which is another obscure reference that <laughs> only a few people will get. Or, I mean, Ch- Chesterton's One Whirling Adventure, right. which you've used many times. Yeah. So, why don't you, I'm going to give you the last word on this point. So, is the Catholic Church still Catholic and should somebody join it if they have hesitation or pause about that? Well, I think you'll probably be able to predict that my answers to that are yes and yes. It, it is still Catholic and it always will be. That's a matter of faith. If we, if we believe Jesus Christ and we believe his promises for the church, then we know that the church is not going to fail. A lot of people in it will fail and, and have and are currently and things do and can go wrong and there's genuine damage that comes from that but the church herself does not fail the church herself will be catholic and will continue to be catholic and i think that the best thing for it is to be part of that to to be in the trenches this is where the fight is for to kind of switch our metaphor a little bit from from a body to to a battlefield that you can sit on the sidelines and not make a difference in the in the conflict or you can be in it and that doesn't mean necessarily you know taking up an activist lifestyle it can simply mean ordinary faithfulness in your life but as an ordinary faithful catholic you are supporting the body and i think that's worth doing well said hey thanks for listening as always please follow or subscribe whatever the button at the top of the podcast feed says some say follow some say subscribe but give us that and also rate and review on whatever podcast platform or you can go to the website those really move us up in the search rankings Mm -hmm. and that's hugely helpful to us also go to the website where you can see all of the episodes over the last couple of years categorized topically you can search through them to find things that you're interested in and thank you so much for the emails and messages that i'm getting i mean i got so i mean a bunch of them last night and they were really thoughtful and some of you are asking great questions yeah greg read me a few of them and i was really impressed 
Yeah, you got, well, we have an impressive audience. Yes, we're we all great. That's right. It's it's like Lake, Lake Wobegon where all the children are above average. All of our listeners are above average. But no, they really are great. And we're going to get to some of those questions that you've posted. So there'll be some listener question episodes coming up. And please continue to send those stories and I will address those in future episodes. Also, if you can support this ministry, it takes a lot of time and effort and resources, time, tools, and technology, and we want to keep it going and expand it and reach more people. So if you are willing to support us, go to the website and click the support button, or the support button is right in the show notes, and we would appreciate any uh, support you could give us so we could keep this deal going. Thank you, and God bless, and we'll see you soon. Yep. Mm -hmm.